The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. No my hockey my kiada fold in mihine ko dunking grief talking wa my guests this week are Victoria Young and Chimanti Sinhalage Fonseca from Business Desk and Baldwin Boyle Group respectively. Uh, they are the the founders, the masterminds behind Kiwi Asians in Media and Communications or Kaimac for not that short, uh, which is a group that came out of and they tell this story in quite an affecting way a, 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 a late night conversation that got very deep very fast um, about their experiences as very frequently being the only uh, woman from sort of Asian backgrounds in uh, in various rooms or, or groups that they'd been a part of and while most of us leave our deep late night conversations where they where they began and, and probably for the most part belong. Uh, Chimanthi and Victoria met up a few weeks later, had coffee, and started the process of building out a an organisation that would sort of wrap around, advocate for, and represent the the sort of interests of uh, Kiwi Asians in media and communications. And as we talked about after the podcast, all of those things are fraught. You know, what, what the, they they chose Kiwi over New Zealander for specific reasons. Asian, it can be that is a, that is a giant basket. It contains multitudes, and uh, and media can be as big or as small an industry as you like it. But they're sort of figuring that all out together as they go along, and and also, and this is, was my sort of favorite stuff is is the insights around what ties this very large, very diverse group of people uh, together in, in terms of experience and, um, and outlook and so on. And, you know, I think that while it's a, a nascent group, it's a very necessary one, it does kind of have parallels to, to things like the Pan-Asian Screen Collective. Uh, and what, you know, I think what, what they're trying to do is, is in a country that is, you know, Closing in on fifteen twenty percent um, uh, sort of Asian identifying uh, New Zealanders within media and comms, that it, that that is just a much lower uh, percentage, and it's not particularly scrutinised, you know. Versus you know, where representation of Maori and Pacific peoples um, is much more of a, an object of 
particularly kind of government and and just general scrutiny, the Asian community can feel like uh, it's it's not paid the same kind of attention. It, it, everyone needs it. It's just that this just it doesn't happen. And I think what Shamanthi and, and Victoria are doing will will turn that around. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really interesting conversation. They go deep into the the personal and and what they've discovered sort of since starting this thing out there. I think that it's it's really gonna go somewhere and um, it's 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 a it's an important conversation. So yeah, really, really excited about this one. Uh, this is Victoria Young and Chimanthi Sinhalage Fonseca on the fold. Kilda, Victoria and Chimanthi, welcome to the fold. Thank you for having us, Duncan. Great to be here. Um, I wonder if you could start by just sort of taking turns telling me you know, a bit about yourself, what, what your sort of day jobs are um, before we get into the, the meat. Yeah, I am the investigations editor at Business Desk. Obviously, we write about companies and financial news. I've been doing business journalism for about 10 years. I mostly focus on bigger projects, data projects and investigations now. Um, and yeah, and Business Desk uh, sits within the wider NZME beast of New Zealand Herald, One Roof and uh, a few other, uh, lots of other radio stations and things. Cool. Cool. And um, I am a senior consultant at Baldwin Boyle Group. So I've been a PR consultant all of my career. Um, at BBG, um, we are New Zealand's or one of New Zealand's oldest public relations consultancies. So we're about 40 years old. Um, HQ is in Auckland, but we work with our teams in China, Australia, Singapore, and lots of other places. So it keeps my life really interesting. I wondered if you could sort of give me a sense of what the genesis of uh, Kiwi Asians in media and communications is. Yeah, I'll start. Well, it started back in February. Uh, Chamanthi had a party. Um, we did things that you do at parties. Um, <laughs> near the very end of the night, we were locked in quite a deep conversation about life and our professions and our careers and, and lots of other stuff. But I guess what's relevant for this podcast is we talked about being Asian and being in our fields and what's that like? I mean, about yeah, about being Asian, also about being female and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, we sort of... Yeah. I don't remember a lot of the conversation, actually. I know that we had quite a deep conversation about and it. And it was the first time we'd actually properly met. It was a very strange scenario because, yeah. you know, you meet someone for the first time properly in your house mm. and you get right mm. into it at about one in the morning being like, wow, you're another Kiwi Asian person and we have shared experiences. And that was really novel for both of us, I think, in our careers. Yeah, especially, I mean, I know Chimanthi from Twitter and who she is and all that sort of thing. So it's like we knew each other, we did it and we just clicked and we we talked about all these things. And I thought, you know, what it was like uh, when I graduated from law school, my dad didn't want, he wouldn't come to my admission because I'd already decided to be a journalist. All these, all these things, I guess we can unpack, you know, about what it's like being Asian and in I mean, my parents would call it a creative field, journalism. Um, and yeah, and so that's that's where we bonded and we made other remarks. There were other people at that party that we were talking about it too. And that's kind of where the thing began. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because like 
When we think about being Kiwi Asian in our industries, it's not just sort of which part of the world did your like parents or grandparents or whoever comes from. It's like um, Vic is third generation Kiwi, whereas I moved to New Zealand when I was 10. So we have very different experiences of being Kiwi Asian. And yet when she was like, I went to law school before I decided what I really wanted to do because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. I have the same experience. I went to law school and then as I graduated, I chose the court of public opinion over a courtroom. And then like my husband's exactly the same. He got into medical school before he went to law school Mm -hmm. before. And then we started just sort of pulling out these examples and we found these common threads and all of those common threads led to there are people who are Kiwi Asian who genuinely want to be in our industries, but we take these massive detours to get there. And we started to sort of unpack, is it a deficit within what our industries are doing to bring them in? Or is it kind of where we come from in terms of our families and culture and things? And this is all, I mean, 1am conversation. It got, it it got, got deep. But it's, um, I mean, it, there's, there's so much in what you're just saying. And, and I think the that sense of the the family family expectations and the extent to which that kind of informs and and sort of dictates or, or presses on your your career and and, and that that kind of relationship to the media like is is that the kind of thing that you feel like is just not particularly well understood but is actually a huge and present part of the reality for for um sort of pan asian communities in new zealand yeah and i think you're right in that it's not well understood and it's not really well understood by us as well so if you look at the stats um like Asians in New Zealand were supposed to be hitting about, and when we say Asian, sorry, I should stop there, because um, the the term Asian itself has different connotations for different people. So if I can just take a minute to kind of take you through our definition of... Yeah, um, please we, do, please do. We decided at the outset to take a really broad definition geographically, which means from the Middle East to the Pacific Ocean and from the top of Russia to the Indian Ocean. Like if you are... Like if you have some heritage relating to people in that area, like, and you choose to kind of almost self-identify in that way, like we, like we're happy with that. Because I think that in New Zealand, when you say Asian, often they think of East Asians, whereas in the UK, they think of South Asians. So we sort of went, look, let's just make it really broad um, and people can self-identify, which also means if you are, you know, if you have a great, great, great grandfather who was Japanese, but you present as Pākehā, but you, we think that's still fine because there are intergenerational sort of values and things that do get passed down. So it, so that's sort of the, we, we yeah, we've taken a broad kind of um, definition. And then the question after that is, well, then what makes all of your experiences common? Because there's a lot of diversity in that, right? It's such an enormous basket. It's huge. Yeah. And, um, and so we found, we did two things. One is that we decided it shouldn't just be the me and Vic show. We actually decided to, after that conversation, we couldn't stop we couldn't stop thinking about this. So we decided to actually go out and talk to a handful of Kiwi Asian professionals in our industries to find out what their experiences were. And it was really interesting because we were starting to see common themes coming through despite the broad geography. Um, And so there are these like sort of common cultural elements there. Um, 
And a lot of those were around cultural expectations. If you were from migrant backgrounds, there was a real push towards the sciences. Um, and then when I was growing up in central Auckland, law was considered, at least in the double grammar mm. zone, <laughs> law was still considered to be a bit of a airy-fairy liberal thing. Um, <laughs> if you were a serious person, you went into medicine. And if you couldn't get into medicine, you did engineering or at least accounting or teaching was another like known profession. So so if we bring it back to the number of Asians in New Zealand, we're due to hit about 1 million in terms of population, um, somewhere between 2024 and 2028, I believe. Um, and then you look at, but what about representation in our industries? And I think for media, um, as of 2022, less than 5% of um, members of the media were some kind of Asian. And then for public relations, so Prins released um, some figures for 2022, it was really grim. In 2018, roughly 15% of PR people surveyed identified as Asian. 2022 is around sort of the five to eight percent mark. So they're the only like we're the only group that's gone backwards. And you start to go as a population, we're growing. But in terms of representation and like when we say news making and news shaping industries, because there's a there's a an access to democracy thing there. If you can, you know, through journalism and communications, there's access to, you know, getting your point across. There's, you know, fourth estate and representation the same way you need lawyers representing you in terms of like where the way that the justice system evolves. And you start to go, actually, too few of us being represented, even though the population's growing. Yeah. So it's interesting, right, because there's, there's, there's a lot to this, including, you know, the – Victoria, I'm curious about your view on this, the extent to which the – there's a there's a representation in terms of actually you know people creating the stories, editing the stories, commissioning all that kind of thing. There's also the other side of it in terms of how the community how communities are covered, whether the whether news and media feels like it is for and about them and on what terms it's conducted. How have you sort of uh, reflected on or experienced that in your career? Yeah, it's really interesting because I have to say, you know, I've been a I've been a business journalist for a long time, and I started my career at the NBR. So that's not really a starting point for diversity, to be fair. I've spent a lot of time in conference rooms or in court or, you know, wherever with a lot of old white men, basically. And it's not something that I had, like it's something I've always known but not really thought about, and even to the point where I've had colleagues in previous jobs say, oh, yeah, but you're not really Chinese. No. And, and, but that, it's, not, um, it's not not well-meaning, yeah. but it's like, no, I'm still Chinese, you know, like I am. It's, but I, I think, you know, you're, you're right. There is that element about I don't I, – I have not reported on – Chinese communities, for example. And, you know, it, and it's interesting that there is a time and a hunger for this because, you know, the RNZ has just started its Asia journalism unit, right? And, you know, I've talked to Jeremy Rees about what the, and, you know, actually Jeremy has come out to talk to us about what that should that should be. And, you know, he's got um, other pipeline projects coming on with that, but he could probably talk about that. Um, 
for me, it's like, okay, well, I don't, I'm not a journalist because I am Asian. It, being Asian doesn't give me an advantage in business journalism. I don't really report on, you know, it's not like all the Chinese CEOs. I mean, where are they anyway? I Come and talk to me or anything like that. What 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 does it really mean? But I think the fact that I just exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it will actually, Chimanthi sort of convinced me that that was enough <laughs> and that I have, and I'm semi in, I'm in semi-management so that, you know, I could have a little bit of say. Um, but, you know, f- for me, I, I never think w- what would a, would a Chinese person report this differently or, 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 or how that works. I just think let's all talk t- to each other about how that works and who we are. And we do have, like one of the conversations we had early on when we were sort of testing this idea is people were like, we need a forum so you know when something is going on in in an Asian country and we don't understand it or we're getting approaches from our colleagues in our newsroom we don't know how to deal with it you know we can talk to each other at least about how we are dealing with it and how we are helping um, people that aren't Asian understand our points of view in a chill and responsible way I guess yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that, that does sort of get to where, where, where there it ends up being this sort of extra load that can be placed on you to kind of both do your job and then also, I mean, and you've in some ways created this for yourself by, by founding yeah. this organisation is that because um, this is just going to be extra work. But there, it must be that that late night conversation um, for it to have brought, brought you here and, and to kind of create this, it must feel like uh the there is something kind of quite substantial that you've hit upon how have when you have taken it out and kind of workshopped it with with people particularly members of the this kind of um the large community how have um people responded to it what are some of the kind of stories that sort of speak to us um how, how important it is well definitely from the journalists i spoke spoke to especially for the really really senior ones they they've never had They've never had this. They didn't really. They were like, "What are you guys going to do? How is it? How is it going to work?" But people just like to talk about what it's like. You just have that similarity or thing about you, and you guys want to. Yeah, we just want to talk about it differently. I mean, how did you feel in that first event, Matthew, when everyone was in that room, and like you sort of introduced each other to each other but you didn't have to and it just it was it was a different vibe than I've I've never been I've never had an experience like that before the way that I try to contextualize it to people that um have a lot of questions and you know it's great that people have questions is imagine having gone through your career never seeing another person like you in a team so this year for the first time ever in my career so I'm in my mid-30s now um, I have a Kiwi Asian colleague and I've worked in Auckland, Wellington and the Waikato and it actually hadn't hit me that I had never actually had a, another Kiwi Asian colleague before. It was just kind of a, a norm and it's just, it, I didn't expect the experience of having her in my team to be more profound than I have a talented new colleague but actually it is. And um, what's great, I think, and I think you mentioned sort of how this all fits in with our work is two things. One is that she was hired not because of some 
quota or anything like that, but she was genuinely good. She's a junior. She's genuinely good. And I'm pleased that my firm was able to recognize that. But the second thing is that with both Vic's bosses and my bosses, they've really come to the party with this project. So they, so this, um, they allow us work time to work on this if we want to. They um, agreed to be our like founding partners because there's seed seeding that needs to be done in the early stages. But at the same time, they're not precious about because you can imagine, given it's media and public relations, and because anything re- related to diversity is so you know of the moment, you can imagine them wanting to be exclusive on this, but they're letting us really run with like We want to expand this out so that um, other media organizations and other public relations organizations can actually like buy in and support and become members. So we've been really pleased in the way that our works um, works dealt with that. Um, and I also think that um, to what Vic was saying around kind of the, how did I feel about the f- um, that first event? It was phenomenal. We were in a room of 40 people, um, quite a contingent from the spinoff as well. I think you guys might have had one of the biggest groups there. Um, It was really wild to be like, we're having these very normal everyday conversations, but everyone comes from the same or similar context. And you had people like Gilbert Wong, who were who just like absolute veterans of the industry and both journalism and public relations. And then you had people that were just coming out of um, AUT journalism school and that cross-pollination and sharing stories. And um, it was just, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. And I think, Duncan, also just one more thing in terms of how we found like going around and workshopping the idea. Like after we had our chat at the start of the year, we couldn't stop thinking about it for a few weeks. We caught up for coffee. We went, right, we need to get a bit of a brains trust so we're not just in a in a little bubble by ourselves. So we tapped um, Sam Suchdeva at Newsroom, um, Mandy T at Renews, and um, Branavan Yanalingam, um, who is both a commentator and a and a writer. And we went down to Wellington and we said to them, are we crazy? Like, are we? And no. they went, no, we, we didn't, like, it, to varying degrees, it was a, yes, there's something there. Yes, we'll help you explore it. And then we just kept um, broadening that brain's trust out. And at our um, first event, we did a survey, which yielded some really, really interesting results. Um, but yeah, so I think all in all, this is sort of tracking in the direction of the key message that we've gotten from everyone is we want more. We don't know what more like looks like. So can you please help us fashion that out? But whatever is happening here in terms of this co-papa, we want more of it. I mean, it does feel like it's it's a bit of an emergent moment for obviously identities more broadly, but um, particularly I think Asian New Zealanders sort of starting to kind of um, look for opportunities to kind of sp- speak uh, in in different contexts within media. I'm thinking obviously the RNZ's new initiative, but also the Pan Asian Screen Collective, which we've had a bit to do with, and who are a bit of a model in terms of how they've liaised with different facets of the industry. In terms of uh, how, like, because I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you could take this. What what are the sort of if you're for media organisations or for 
practitioners, what, how would you like to be engaged with uh, right now? Well, I guess we, I, we, we have a couple of sort of what stated goals, I guess, which sort of outline what we want to be and I guess which would help show where we want to engage. So the, the, the first one is to provide that network that we talked about, whether it's online or in just having people in the same space, that sort of thing. Promoting diversity to create visibility of us. Foster talent, that's probably a big one. And like, I think, I mean, you could probably go a lot longer on this on just how important that pipeline is to us. Uh, having people visible in the media and having, you know, more specific things like scholarships or other ways in we think might be important. And, and it, it comes back to this pathways issue that we see where that a lot of um, talented people come into journalism in a, or, or comms in a different route. So how do you find them before they go to law school? Or <laughs> or how do you find them after they go to law school? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't but know. Law, yeah. law school's yeah. going to be in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like we don't want, I mean, we don't want... Kiwi Asian people to accidentally turn up in our industries. I mean, we're grateful for the ones that did, but it would be really good if we could be more deliberate about that. Um, one of the kind of key moments where we, it was sort of a light bulb moment for the talent pipeline was um, actually it was because of um, the spinoff. Um, a few years ago, I did a piece um, on being a Kiwi Asian woman in these industries and got a phone call from a teacher at Ormiston College and I didn't know the school existed. And she, um, and the whole experience was really wild because she said, oh, well, you know, we read your piece in class and um, she said, you should come in and spend the day with these sixth formers. And so this teacher, this English teacher, she's in her 20s, she's Kiwi Sri Lankan. Um, and then the, the, the most surprising thing about that class was about 90% of them were Kiwi Asian. I had never been in a mainstream New Zealand school where like the major overwhelming majority were Kiwi Asian because it's out in Flatbush where there are a lot of... Um, Such a my, new town, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so she said, look, um, we, you know, your piece was one of the ones that we kind of looked at as a class because she runs a bit of a what she calls like a dead poet society where she tries to get cool. Kiwi Asian um, writers, journalists, so on to come in and spend the day with the students. And so I wasn't sure what I was in for, um, but she'd gotten them to all write personal essays. She wanted me to spend the day with around 60 students or so two classes looking through their personal essays and just sort of helping them um, with them. I didn't expect to get like to be as moved as I was. I was reading through this personal essays, these personal essays, and all of them in one way or another was about the experience of being Kiwi Asian in New Zealand. So you had sort of this young Indian woman coming out to her parents. And these were things when I was going to school, like you didn't have to be Kiwi Asian, like nobody really were, was able to um, have those conversations with their parents, let alone like Kiwi Indians, right? Mm -hmm. And so we had this experience. And then I said to her, well, why don't, like, are these students considering careers in journalism or communications or something to do with writing? And she said, well, no, because for a lot of them, like they're talented storytellers, talented writers, talented thinkers, but they'll all try to go for medical school or whatever. And it was this moment where I thought, well, how can our industries now 
connect with these young people because like part of the reasons why they wouldn't consider our industries is because the myths around them are that they're low paid, which doesn't have to be the case, depends on where you land, um, that it's harder if you're Kiwi Asian because um, there's just too many unknown variables versus the science where things are seen as a bit more definite. And also they've just, and to Vic's point about a critical mass and visibility, there just aren't that many people who are Kiwi Asian who are visible in these industries to then like bring that back to schools and communities. And so that was sort of a, a light bulb moment that fed into this and really um, kind of hones our purpose. So I think that'll be one of the first things that we kind of try to get off the ground in terms of a, a piece of work from the, the organization. I mean, it's funny when you mention that because I just earlier this week was looking at the careers dot you know, uh, I think it's .govt.nz, the, the government's kind of career site. And if you go to the journalism page, it has an arrow saying poor, there's low demand for journalism and it's and it's slow. Yeah. And you're like, you know, that that's sort of, and it's always irked me that there's mm. this sort of official advice, like avoid. Mm. And you're like, yeah, it's a, it's a challenged industry. There's actually not low demand for journalism. There's a challenged economic model. Those are two different things. But... Um, but some of this, on some level, is a bit of a government relations job, right? It is about, you know, interventions like the one that you made in a essentially like a, you know, a sort of created by, by the will and the mind of one teacher that actually can be a bit more systemic and kind of hopefully change some of that culture or provide a counterweight to some of that cultural bias that opens them to these professions that you know you seem to both have got so much from is, is, so is that part of it that you that you want to speak to the relevant parts of government and, and engage with them yeah anyone that's a decision maker along that continuum um, so government would definitely be part of it teachers are a huge part of it parents families I mean like Vic mentioned her dad and, mm, you know, choosing mm. not to come to her admission. Um, my parents still don't know what I do for a living. They're just like, just, it's hard to explain what public relations is. Um, it, and so, and then with my husband, who's a journalist, I think it's easier for them to understand because they can see his name in print or wherever. But, and they've gone through a process of going from, oh my goodness, you're not going to go on your set path, what we came to this country for, all of that baggage to, oh, I can see how you're making a really good life of this. And actually, you know, both my parents and his parents, are, like they subscribe to whichever publication he's like writing for at the moment, like business, they both went and got business desk subscriptions um, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And that's a mark of sort of pride and so that sort of starts to say, well, actually, how can we tap into that with some of these parents much earlier? And um, so, yeah, so government definitely part of it for, and I think for the industry as a whole, but certainly for the Kiwi Asian part of it, um, say it's employers, parents, teachers are probably the main ecosystem. Because because there are some journalistic or, or communications roles, like you, like you said, like your Dilepa's role is just much more prominent because there's a picture of him in a, in a byline, whereas the work of a skilled public relations practitioner is often by the nature less, less visible. Like, is it actually about just kind of getting these stories together and, you know, I guess that's where your role in, in communications can be quite <laughs> useful to, to the whole project in some respects. So thinking again about um, whether it's media organisations, 
communications de- departments within larger uh, organizations. The, 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 I mean, as I know from this podcast, when the word media is elastic and, yeah. and quite so they, huge, they, yeah. you know, um, you have there's a yeah. there's entertainment industry which is right next to some definitions of media. You know, how how, how what what do you like in terms of how they should engage with you, like? You know, what what what's the the best thing for for them to do as organisations to try and start to make uh, the Pan Asian representation within mm. their organisations less accidental and more deliberate? Yeah, I think um, there's sort of a structured way to interact with us, and then a more ad hoc way, and I think those both go um, side by side. So later this year, we'll be launching sort of formal membership and things like that. Um, and then there's, we've got a landing page up, we've got a LinkedIn page, um, uh, sorry, LinkedIn group, um, obviously official email address, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and what we're seeing is people are just getting in touch with questions and thoughts and that kind of, those ad hoc things that are coming through um, are actually just as kind of important because I think one of the mistakes people might make is assuming that like we're going to move straight to some kind of formal membership model where it's sort of top down, you get your monthly newsletter with updates on how members of the Kiwi Asian community are going. And to some extent, there probably will be that in the future. But at the moment, the way that you reached out, the way that Jeremy Reese from RNZ reached out, tell them they're going, hey, um, can we be part of this conversation? And we're going, okay, well, whatever you need in terms of your organization or whatever you've got going, we'd like to try and be part of that. And what we're doing in terms of, like, we don't call them members yet, but we've got a database of 100 professionals from around the country. And the database was created by people recommending more people. And the we're like, at the moment, we're seeing two key um, markers of success. One is that through the event, and we've got another one coming up in Wellington next month, um, but through the event, the LinkedIn page, et cetera, people are meeting people and that's turning into mm. real opportunities. So we had an example of at our event, there was a senior journalist who met a um, journalism student of Chinese origin. And because they met the student kept in touch with the journalist and went on to offer a tip, which then turned into a really interesting news story concerning um, the Chinese, like a Chinese business, which Western journalists may not have as easily stumbled on. So you can see for that media organization itself, if you want to talk about cold hard, like ROI, <laughs> there's a real, it's not just diversity for diversity's sake, The those kind of opportunities to meet and connect are actually creating more opportunities. So yeah, to an extent, we're creating the formal track. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, how can we get as much cross-pollination going as possible. So at the moment, we just want people to get in touch to us with us in any way. Um, and we just follow those opportunities through and try to bring them back to those four aims that Vic mentioned. Yeah, so if your listeners are wondering what's the best way to support us, it is to let their people know about us so that we can create that mass because we want to be and we're striving to be reasonably grassrootsy, I guess, you know, we, we, 
We don't we, have a logo yet. <laughs> we don't have a logo yet. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't. And it's funny because at first I was like, oh, no, we need to do this and this and this. And she made was like, no, 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 brains trust, brains trust, and all this, all this sort of stuff. It's, it is this slow, slow journey where we figure ourselves out and figure out what our, our membership or, or what will become our membership wants to do. And there's, there's a hunger for it, but there's also – we want to be careful and deliberate, so there's no real, real rush. I mean, we people want to sponsor us, you know, stuff like that, which is great. Which is great, but we're going to be so careful, you know. Yeah, I think we look a lot to the Kiwi Asian lawyers, funnily enough, as kind of a, a model because, as I said, yeah, when I was growing up, it was not really a thing, and the only Kiwi Asian lawyer you ever really heard of was Mei Chen, um, and so I grew up seeing her on television and things. And then you look at the Kiwi Asian like legal network. And the work that they've done. And currently, one out of every nine lawyers in New Zealand identifies as Kiwi Asian, um, which is phenomenal. Um, and then you have the likes of people like Mindy Chen Wishart, who has just finished up as the Dean of Law at Oxford, and she is a Kiwi Asian. And you s- kind of go, okay, so when you think about that visibility, the lawyers are doing it really well. And we look to law not just because we started life training to be lawyers, but because that kind of connection between the, you know, the court of public opinion and the court of, like, law, like, in terms of it's, like, what we do comes in many ways into that representation arena. Um, And, like, and we think that, like, if you've got Kiwi Asians sort of being represented, whether it's on Kiwi Asian issues or not, just the fact that they're there in that arena, there should be a parallel in what we do. And so we look to them quite a bit as a as a guide of I guess or like just as a bit of a blueprint to yeah. loosely yeah. follow. There's actually two uh, Kiwi Asian legal networks that compete against each other. That's how you know it's Kiwi Asian. So <laughs> <laughs> but also, like that's how evolved they are. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of a success marker, yeah. it'll be when you've got a, a, yeah, a rival yeah, yeah, faction yeah. across town yeah. denouncing you. Hey, yeah, honestly, it's it's such a great mission, and uh, I I do think you know even though you don't have a logo, you're you're really <laughs> onto something, and and the way you're going about it. And I I really appreciate both of you coming up onto the fold. Cool, thank you thank for having you so us. Kia ora e Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.